the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. President Biden makes a big announcement about college loans and then... The state of evangelicals and politics. And later, what are the best jobs in America? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Happy Wednesday. Happy Hope Day. There it is. Hope you're having a great week as kids go back to school. Uh, college students go to college. Everyone's going back to school except for your kids. They're kind of uh, just going to take yeah, it off. Yeah, it's it's endless summer. This morning I was even p- praying like, oh, God, just help me. Like, like I love having my kids home for the summer so much. I really do. But I mean that. Over. I love it. But summer is over. And I have work to do. Like, Mama has things to do. I like, I like the glimpse into your prayer life. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, please allow me not to kill my children <laughs> That's today. basically <laughs> it. Like, Lord, he- Lord, help us all. That's what I'm praying right now. We're glad that you're with us. Aubrey, we have a lot of important stuff to talk about today. College loans, uh, abortion, pastors, all this kind of stuff. But can I ask you, can I begin with the most important question of the day? Yes, please. You probably do not know this, but today is National Waffle Day. National Waffle Day? So I did not know that. And I heard this debate going on this morning on a different radio show in the morning, and they asked this. It got me thinking. Waffle, pancake, or French toast? Oh. What is your choice? Oh, this is really hard. This is so hard. It's easy for me. I'm going to tell you it's easy for me. My instinct, I'm just going to answer with my gut, which is waffle. Really? Yeah. I I like the texture of a waffle quite a bit. I like that it's like a little like a a crunchier version of a pancake. I would choose, waffle would come in second for me. What's first for you? I and, and this is actually first. This is what I'm getting whenever I go to restaurants these yeah. days oh. for breakfast. I love French toast. French toast is solid. I do I mean, love French toast. Uh, another controversial take here. Yeah, I could do without pancakes in my life. Interesting. How come? Yeah. Just like you're, you're fine with other versions of yeah. the same thing. If there were only pancakes in front of yeah. me, I would eat them. Yeah, but I don't know that I will ever go into a restaurant and order, order pancakes. pancakes. Now, with French toast, are you pretty classic? Like, it yes. needs to be just original. Yes, you're, you're not going with any of the, like, nope. b- uh, banana, no. No. whatever. Because sometimes, like, red velvet French no. toast, cinnamon toast, French toast. Don't do that. What if you added crepes to the list? Yeah, I like a crepe, but I don't love a crepe, so I'm still going waffle. Okay, I think crepe would top waffle, but be yeah. below French toast for me. Yeah. So, we we conquered the important wow. stuff of the day. Yeah, this is you're great. You're having breakfast, you've ordered your waffle, mm-hmm. and they say... Uh, ma'am, with that comes sausage or bacon? Bacon. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I, if it's a round sausage, I'm okay. <laughs> a but patty. I, I, yeah, a patty. I don't, I'm not a big sausage link fan. So I probably bacon, it's but fair. it needs to be cooked well. Because sometimes I feel like in the diner oh, you situation, are so high maintenance. they give you chewy <laughs> or like not all the way cooked bacon. And I'm not a big fan of that. So... They I'm saying bacon you. with a lot of caveats Yeah, they're, here. they're spitting yeah. in your what food. What about you? What about you? Uh, I have begun to ask boldly, can I have one of each? Whoa! And they will usually blown. do it. You know what my annoying healthy husband does? Here's I, Kevin. 
Would you like bacon or sausage with that? I'm the waitress. Would you like bacon or sausage with that? Here's my annoyingly healthy husband. Could I have avocado or fruit instead? Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to go to breakfast with him. If I He'll were... order like a turkey, like a turkey sausage or like a slice of turkey and avocado. And you're like, what is the point of yeah, life Yeah, if I were the you? waitress, I would just, or the waiter, I suppose, I would just turn around and walk yeah, away. Yeah, I wouldn't leave. answer. Right. I wouldn't write just it down. I would just walk away. So Do you the... have avocado or fruit instead? Yeah, that's awful. Right. I look forward to the day when <clears throat> we find out the avocado was the worst thing you could have eaten. <laughs> Like when research that study that comes tells us. <laughs> well, we're glad that you're with us today as we tackle the important subjects of the day. Aubrey, major news yesterday and today, and I'm not sure what to make of it. Okay. Can, I, can I come to you and say, I don't know what I think. I'm about to send a daughter to college this yeah. week. I have just finished with some of the – now, thankfully, she, was, she got lots of uh, scholarships in this net, but still needed to take out some loans. Yeah, that's real. So – President Biden uh, announced today that he is forgiving $10,000 of of student loan. You obviously didn't watch the news today. No. Uh, is... By the face. $10,000 of student loan for anybody making under, I believe it's $125,000. Wow. A federal loan, right? This wow. federal loan. So here is the debate that's going on. Okay. Let's uh, first of all, many Democrats are saying that's not enough. You should, they are like 50 grand. Go that route, whatever. Yeah. yeah. But there's a whole nother um, line of thinking that I'm going to play a clip for you of somebody who kind of confronted Elizabeth Warren of, well, this isn't really fair to the people who actually did a good job saving and paying for yeah, college. Okay, okay. So let's listen to this okay. real fast. Hello, uh, I just want to ask one question. My daughter's getting out of school. I saved all my money. She doesn't have any student loans. Am I going to get my money back? So you're going to pay for people who didn't save any money, and those of us that did the right thing get screwed. No, it's not anybody got screwed. Of course we did. My buddy had fun, bought a car, went on vacations. I saved my money. He made more than I did. But I worked a double shift, worked extra. My daughter's work, she was 10. So you're laughing. Yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. We did the right thing, and we get screwed. That's all right. So this guy waited for Elizabeth Warren and kind of went off on her, right? Like, hey, I have a buddy who didn't save and spent all he bought nice cars yeah he did this i actually have been saving since my kid was little right he uh, if you didn't if you couldn't pick up on the on the auto there he said am i going to get my money back and she laughed and said of course not yeah and you can understand you then can. the frustration so i'm torn now you've got the economists some who say this is going to lead to greater inflation yeah uh other people saying this is really just a tax break for the rich right. uh, this so uh, take all of that what do we think about this i mean <laughs> It's hard for me to take all of it because I can only think of how it benefits me and my future kids. And I'm like, or my kids that will in their future, in their future. And I'm like, yes, awesome. Like, we're like, this is Canada. We don't have to pay for college. I love this. You still have to pay for college. (laughs) So, so I, I can see, I mean, this is, this reminds me of the parable, right? Like, of like, so wait, I worked hard. I've been doing all this stuff and I'm the one who's going to get, you nothing. know, nothing in the end. But the dude over there who basically did nothing gets all of this. I mean, it's kind of funny how like biblical this concept is really, if you like relate it to God's except grace. I think right? that, except I think that, it, that I think the people who have a problem with it have a point here. Yeah, yeah. Like it is. The the problem is the interest level on on these predatory loans, right? Yeah. The, that is the problem. That is but, the problem. Uh, 
I've heard some people say, why aren't we canceling mortgages? Why aren't we canceling yeah. car loans? Yeah, All of these other sure, things that sure. might be better for people to be able to get into homes and whatever. I think the best answer I heard, you and I have a couple uh, credit shy of our economics degrees here. So we're <laughs> talking as two slightly. pastors here. Right. Uh, I do wonder if the answer is we're going to we're going to forgive the interest, but you're still on the hook for the yeah, for the tuition. That actually makes quite a bit of sense to me. Like you should, I mean, at the end of the day, like yeah, pay for your education. That's how you, I think, have some ownership over it and feel grateful for it and like really put the work into it. But having that interest uh, relieved yes. would be. Incredible. Absolutely. Let me ask you a completely spiritual, non-political question because I want to move away from the student loans. Okay. Because uh, economists disagree, politicians, it turns into a – so let's move away from that. that. The ability to be happy for other people when it feels unfair to you. You you referenced a parable before. That's a real struggle for me. Is it? I think so. Yeah. The fairness. But what about me? Uh-huh. Like I uh-huh. did what, what was about right. What, what I about did? me? Um, what about the Christian out there who maybe feels that about the really the guy who the person who's been like a terrible sinner who comes to faith late in their life? Yeah, I mean it's the story of the prodigal son, right? right, right. It, what it, do we say to that person? Yeah, I mean, I I think what I I think it makes sense that it's hard, and part of it is this like sense of justice. Like I want what's just. I want what's fair. Mm-hmm. I want what. I guess I deserve or I have uh, worked for, earned, etc. And so this is what is so wild about the kingdom of God and the economy of grace is that one, like that person who earned and worked and strived, like the big brother brother in the parable, parable of the prodigal son is like just as welcome and just as forgiven and just, you know, experiences just as much grace does not get what they deserve, even in their like pride. Right. As much as the one who like just now, like, you know, squander their entire life, but is now coming to the father. And what do you say to that person? That's the gospel. Like, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's a, it's an upside down thing because it doesn't make sense to us that, uh, God's grace would be available for both the big brother and that's the right. little brother, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's where it comes in. Again, not in the political right. world. We're, We're trying to take different. this out of it. Yeah. But the idea big brother, little brother of the prodigal son or whatever, wherever you struggle with other people getting grace or other people being shown favor, yeah. I think it loses sight of my own need for the gospel. And I also think it loses sight of your own need, of your own like sonship or daughtership, like it can be very easy to look at that person and be like, why is God, like you said, giving them favor, giving them special access or whatever, whatever it is, your whatever your thing is, your hang up is. And you can begin to think somehow God values them more. God loves them more, God, whatever. And you can forget like your own, the richness of the inheritance you have as God's son or God's yes. daughter. And so I think that is a moment to dwell on your own adoption in Jesus into the family of That's God right. and remind yourself you're a child of God with all of the benefits and riches and treasures that this other person is getting as well. Yep. I think it's an opportunity to remember the grace we've been shown yeah. and that if we can't see that grace, that's a bad sign. Yeah. So. Uh, anyway, not sure what I think about the college loan thing, but confident what I think about the grace thing. There you go. There you go. In a second here, I want to talk about something Tim Challies wrote about that you and I as pastors, I think we've, excuse me, talked about this before, but as he often does, he puts it in a, just a really, 
uh, compelling and kind of well-written way. So I want to get that. But before I do that, Aubrey, let me tell you about the Naperville JC's Last Fling. Ooh. Because the Naperville JC's Last Fling is back. Finally. From September 2nd through September the 5th, you can enjoy the last of summer in downtown Naperville Fine. with carnival rides, <gasps> live music, food vendors. That's awesome. Admission is free. So for more information, check out lastfling.org. That's lastfling.org. I asked you this earlier. Favorite. I I asked you earlier about breakfast food. Let's stay in the food category. You go to a carnival. Right. Favorite food. Oh, it's going to cost you like $15. I get it. But you've got that money. Corn dog. Corn dog. Corn dog all day long. Yeah. I love a good corn dog. What about you? A corn dog. Yeah. What, what? Yeah. Have I just wow. blown your mind? You have. Yeah. I like a corn dog. I think if given the opportunity uh, for any of those, I'm going funnel cake. Ugh. Yeah. That's all. That's like the fried pie, basically. Yeah. You just. you. I can't do it. That's just so too, let's, too. Let's pause here and okay. just say <laughs> that you look down on me for like, like, oh, the grossness of the funnel cake. And I chose corn dog. And you yeah, chose fair. enthusiastically. Okay, I, I will accept that review. That's fair. The corn dog. All right. Yeah. So this is, again, if I have to choose carnival food, like I'm probably not going to get any of those things. Let's be honest. But I do like a good corn dog. I do. Okay. I don't mind the corn dog. Yeah. I'm good with it. Yeah. So if you want to go get a corn dog, a funnel cake, Ooh, whatever it might be. What about a fried pickle? Okay. Those are I'm good. Okay. I, I got carnival foods all of a sudden on my mind. And you are near downtown Naperville, September 2nd through the 5th. Go to lastfling.org. For nothing else, go get yourself a funnel cake. Go get a funnel cake in honor of Brian. And, and I guess when we discuss the corn dog or the funnel cake, why not both? <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. There yep. we go. Yep. All right. You and I are both pastors, and and, uh, one of the difficulties for a pastor, would you say this is true? One of the difficulties for a pastor is actually understanding what the day-to-day work life Uh, of your congregants is actually like, especially if you've always been a pastor. Absolutely. And why is that that a big deal? Um, I I guess maybe it's a big deal because there are things that the uh, the congregants in our churches deal with at work, marketplace pressures or even marketplace values or workplace uh, ethics, conversations, relationships that we are just literally not. I mean, it's like a foreign language to us yeah. as pastors because we've been in our little bubble for so long. And I think it's hard for us maybe to know how the you know, we're leading people spiritually, we're leading them biblically with what we hope is wisdom from God. Can we help them apply that to these workplace things that we know nothing about? That's right. That's right. And that, I think you make the point because how many sermons have you gotten up, rightfully so, and said, so this week when you're at your office, <laughs> so this week when right. you're at your job, right. you know, be a light, be yeah. salt. And, and, the, and they might be sitting there going, you don't know. Yeah. You don't get it. Yeah. Like you don't get yeah. what it's like in my office, at my school, right. whatever else right. it might be. Well, Tim Challies tries to tackle this, and he says this at Challies.com, C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S. Uh, he says this, mostly, I think pastors have to be aware, aware that their lives may be very different from those of many of their church members, and aware that their instinctual response to a situation may reflect the security of their position, 
not the jeopardy of another's person's pers- uh, another person's position. Interesting. So he told the story earlier about a pastor who visits people at their work. He says, also think pastors could take a cue from their colleague I mentioned earlier and do what they can to understand the current environment. Hmm. This may mean they make regular visits to workplaces or... It may mean they just spend time with people to hear what challenges they face. Either way, that kind of information will hopefully will helpfully equip them. And then pastors can speak about these situations with care and precision, admitting complexity rather than assuming the solution is always straightforward. Yeah. Wow. I think that's so good. I got into this habit. You know, we get into this habit as youth pastors when we're youth pastors. Hey kids, when you're at school, do this. Right. I haven't been in school in 25 years. Right. I do this, uh, and rightfully, I think so, from the pulpit. Like we said before, when you're at work Mm -hmm. this week, when you're in your neighborhood, when you are at the ball, whatever else it might be. And it's a reminder from Chally's here that, yes, we need to do that, but it has to be done with care and precision of one who actually understands what people's day-to-day lives look like. Yeah, I think I think that's really helpful, especially right now. And Charlie's actually talks about this. You know, there's so hard conversations in in you know, the pastor would use the term secular workplace, but right. for the rest of the world, just your workplace. It's just right work. uh, about, you know, like um gender pronouns or different ways of referring to people and as a pastor who's removed from that, you might be like, you have to take a stand. You need a book. Well, if we don't understand the cost to that employee, if we don't understand how that impacts even their witness for Jesus, a stance they take or don't take, like we might offer actually bad advice being well-intentioned. And so I, I this is interesting to think about, like how can pastors speak, this is Chally's language, about these situations with care and precision Admitting complexity rather than assuming the solution is always straightforward. And I guess that comes with like understanding what people are facing in their workplaces rather than just kind of spiritualizing things because we only know a spiritual world as pastors. And I think it's a reminder that we as pastors, our lives look different. Yeah. I don't understand some of the pressures that the people in my church probably understand Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Right. They don't understand the pressures that we do or my, my kids at school or whatever else it might be. And Chally's point here is don't stop challenging people. Don't stop encouraging people yeah. to live counterculturally, but get into the mess with them yeah. and say, hey, listen, I've talked to you. I've seen what you go, what your day looks like. I've un- I understand into that context. Let me give you some encouragement. Mm. Let me give you some encouragement. I love to read how he closes. Let me just read his last paragraph. Tim Chally's writes, we've arrived at a cultural moment in which Christians often need extra counsel and encouragement as they navigate new realities and tough complexities. We've arrived at a moment in which simply living according to Christian principles in the workplace and simply speaking biological truth may exact a substantial cost. I've often heard it said that the easiest thing in the world is to spend other people's money, Mm -hmm. but it's just as easy to give people counsel that may cost them dearly, but cost you nothing. Wow! I know I can be prone to this and suspect other pastors can as well. Hence, my encouragement to myself and to others is to do our absolute utmost to count the cost, to count the cost for the people we love, the people we're called to serve, the people we are called to teach wow. and to guide. I think that's a great word. Oh, great word. Take people from your church out and just say, listen, tell me about your day. Yeah. 
Can yeah. I come visit your office? Right. Would that would you enjoy that? And people right. are like, yes, this is right. my pastor. Let's do right. this. So I love that. Yet another good word from Tim Challies. I'm thankful for that. We've learned a couple things about you over the what have you been at this now? A year and Ten a half years. almost. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like yeah, no, about a year and a half. Yeah. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Uh we've learned a few things about you, some unique things, and one of the most unique things. Is your love for the British royal family I do and love particularly the, royal family. the queen mother herself? Yep. Where does that love come from? You know, I think it's because uh, I m- my roots are are Itish for Itish British <laughs> British. <laughs> British is the word. Uh, my family is originally from Wales and Scotland, and so I think I feel like a little bit of like she's Welsh, and so I feel a little like connection there. But then also, I don't know, it's just fun. I just like thinking about the royal family. It's so different than what we have here in America. It is and, true. And just this like faithful lady serving her country, the longest reigning monarch that England has ever had, and it's in our lifetime, is pretty wild and encouraging and impressive and all of those on things. On a negative side. Oh, I, she's so cute. On a negative side, did you see who's trying to weasel their way back into the news this week? <laughs> Meghan Markle. You have such feelings about her. I like Meghan Markle, no. but Brian does not. Nope. I can't. Anyway. She's got a new podcast out. I almost sent it to you. Uh, that is what I speak of. Yes, that is what I'm speaking of. So uh, here you go. Why are we bringing up the Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth? Well, here, this is, I want to know if you knew this, Aubrey. Queen Elizabeth's former private chef, Darren McGrady, has spilled the tea on the monarch's favorite meals for a mid-afternoon siesta. Ooh. And apparently, it's the same thing she's been eating since childhood. Oh. McGrady, who worked for the 96-year-old royal for about 15 years, revealed the food she has eaten almost every day since she was a child. The cook claimed on his YouTube channel in a resurfaced video... That the royal loves to munch on jam sandwiches during high high tea uh, high tea time. Ah, wow! The queen was served jam pennies in the nursery as a little <gasps> girl. She's had them for afternoon tea almost every day since. Come on! Can we speak about this queen? No queen. Whatever. Somebody who's eating every day the same thing they were eating as a child. As they were a kid. What do you make of this? Oh, I love it. I love it so much. And you know, these are like, it's jam made from like the fruit of the garden at the palace. You know what I mean? Like this is not like Welch's grape jelly. Like whatever she's getting is so fancy and so good. I don't know. There's something I like thinking about. The queen, it's like afternoon high tea time, and she puts on her little hat, and she goes to whatever the tea room is, and she eats this I like to think that she puts on sweatpants and a t-shirt, <laughs> and she goes over. Butter and jam make up the delicacy, and they're cut into small circles I the size this. of an old British penny. I love this. Isn't, I don't know why I found this so amazing. <laughs> She's like, listen, I had these when I was a child. right. right. This is like in our country, somebody going, you know what? I'm 96 years old. Every day for lunch, for my entire life, I'm going to have chicken nuggets. It is. And it's mac exactly and cheese. like that. And a Capri Sun. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. Because that's what I had when I was right. five years old watching Dora the Explorer <laughs> right. on my couch. I, I felt nostalgia for it. It's really good. So I'm going to keep doing that every single day. I, I mean, that is so cute. she could have anything she wants to have. She could have anything Gosh, do world. I find that fascinating. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised like no one has taken this and is is like 
uh, packaging and selling the Queen's sure jam. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it maybe just hasn't made it to America yet. Yeah, yeah. I love uh, it. I Bo- love this. Bohemian Rhapsody. You know the song? Yes. Also known as the Queen's jam. But I got you. Did you just come up with that <laughs> yes. right now? Wow. Oh, bravo, boom, boom, bravo, boom, boom. I got gotcha. you. That was good. I got gotcha. you. Wow. All right. Something we talked about last week. Are you a fan of the Shark Tank? The show? Um, yeah. You know, I, I like the Shark Tank. And my you know who loves it? My husband and my kids. They obsessively watch Shark Tank. I like the show. It's one of those, like a lot of reality shows in my life where I started watching it. And eventually I get tired you of it. kind of get over it. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Well, uh, Mr. Wonderful, Kevin uh, O'Leary. Kevin O'Leary. He weighed in on something you and I talked about the other day that was called quiet quitting. Oh, yes. For those of you who weren't listening, uh, when we talked about quiet quitting, this is a TikTok viral thing going on around right now. But it actually has nothing to do with quitting your job. It instead is I am going to only do exactly what my job description says for the number of hours I'm, I'm signed up to do. And so some people are going terrible idea. Some people are going, this is just another way of describing work-life balance. Yeah, and yeah. this is, But it also talks about the next generation and kind of some of their drive or, or, la- or their perspective right, right. on work. What would you guess that Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank oh. thinks about this? I mean, my sense from Kevin O'Leary is that he's not a fan of quiet quitting or casually coasting, as we mentioned, that it also has been referred to. Um, my guess is because it's not a good work ethic, right? And it kind of shows laziness more than anything else. And also, I understand the impetus for the work-life balance. I'm guessing Kevin O'Leary does too. But I'm also guessing that if you want to work for Kevin O'Leary, you got to show people that, like, you want to work. Oh, you couldn't be more correct. So he is quoted as saying, quiet quitting is a, quote, really bad idea and he gives his reasons why. First, employer, employers value hungry, yeah. keen workers, yeah. people that go beyond to try to solve problems for their organization. But you just said, what are his expectations? O'Leary himself says he looks to hire people who are willing to put in, quote, 25 hours a day, eight days a week. Whoa! If you're shutting off your laptop at 5 p.m. and going home, you're not working, you're not for, working for me, wow. he says. okay. Secondly... O'Leary says you need a strong financial base to afford choosing how you want mm-hmm. to structure your life. He's basically saying you can't come out of college and tell your boss, yeah. this is what I'm doing. It yeah. reminds me of I had a really good friend of mine in high school, and she called me when we got out of college yeah. and was like, hey, I have this opportunity to work at one of these financial institutions in New York City. Oh. And we had a great conversation. Yeah. She ended up doing it and okay. making a lot of money. But the expectation for your first two years was 90 to 100 hours a week. Whoa. Are you serious? So wow. Her, her and I were discussing that. He said there's no question. Although O'Leary says there's no question about it. Personal happiness is something that is a balance between work and life. Sure. It has nothing to do with nine to five. Mm. There's no balance in the pursuit of personal freedom. So he's saying you have to earn the right to get there. So those are his two main ones. He then goes on to talk about he just had some kids with uh, uh, with his uh, new wife. And he says uh, they're never going to be three or four again. So he says, I get the I want to spend time with yeah, my kids. Yeah. 
So what do you think about Kevin O'Leary's thoughts on quiet quitting, which is a new viral trend? So there are some things I agree with and some things where I think probably he does go too far and that maybe that's what the quiet quitters are like rebelling against. One, I mean, Kevin and I have always said from the start, like we don't want like even at a church and maybe this sounds counterintuitive people, but you do want employees that are hungry, that are going after it, that understand the mission, that are passionate about it and that are like, thinking creatively they don't have to be like these big innovators but like they're hungry to do the job otherwise you're kind of like do i have to convince you that like fighting for the kingdom of god is a good thing i don't have time for that like we got work to do so i understand that wanting hungry employees for sure i do think it's extreme to say 25 hours a day eight days a week like basically you're never gonna stop working but if he's talking about an attitude or a posture yeah. more than he's talking about actually clocking in at those hours. I guess I can understand that too. And I wonder though, this last piece that you need a strong financial base to afford choosing how you want to structure your life and days. I wonder if that's where the disconnect is going to be so. with the next generation. Cause I think they would say, no, you choose how to structure your life and days and then earn along the way. But the yeah. earning is not the like main priority. One thing we know from the Shark Tank, from Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary, and a little bit of this is shtick probably, like he yeah. now has a persona. Right. But making money is the pinnacle. Right, right. And That's like you goal. said, maybe the next, I think this is, this whole concept of quote unquote quiet quitting while, you know, a, a, an online, you know, discussion, I think it actually highlights the disconnect yeah. that a lot of us feel. Even you and I at 45 like you said, in churches with certain employees or whatever, certain people are churches going, I don't even understand your lack of drive yeah, here or your yeah. lack of this, but it's going to be, what does work-life balance look like for you going forward, I think is going to be a fascinating Very question. Very interesting for sure. Brian, this is a little bit uh, sobering news, mm-hmm. but did you know that yesterday was Kobe Bryant's birthday? I actually did. I saw it on Twitter uh, I follow some of those accounts. Just reminds you of just the uh, the tragedy of his passing. And yeah. I know, you know, it's celebrity this and that. But he was the he was a year younger than you and I. So oh, basically, I didn't you know that. that. Oh wow! And it's I'll never forget where uh, that was. One of those where were you moments for mm. me. I don't know if it was for you, but for me, it was one of those where were you moments. When you heard that Kobe Bryant had died in that hel- helicopter crash, just tragic. Yeah, absolutely tragic. Wildly enough, I was actually in Newport Beach, California. No. Right uh, this very same day that he died because I was there for a class at Wheaton College. And so it was happening like on the ground where I was. Yeah, that was really, really unbelievable. That's crazy. Um, Yesterday, the LA Lakers gifted newborn babies, so babies that were born at the UCLA Children's Hospital, gifts from Kobe or gifts from the Lakers, basically, but in honor of Kobe. These Lakers blankets and hats and a little sign that says welcome to the world from the Lakers Mm. in honor of Kobe Bryant. Really, really sweet. But lots of people on Twitter, especially family members and friends remembering him. So I thought it would be worth mentioning that. Yeah. Brian, in other news, um, you know, you and I kind of by nature of our role here at The Common Good, talk a little bit about evangelicals and politics. And we don't necessarily say here's how you should vote or here's what we think, but we do like to kind of take a broad, you know, brush look at the state of where evangelicals and politics are. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. Scott McKnight on his uh, blog recently, his newsletter recently, posted a bunch of like 
infographs, you know, which is hard to explain on radio medium. But if you go to scottmcknight.com, you'll find uh, these infographs describing evangelicals and politics. It's actually really, really helpful because it gives some image and some stats about where we are today. Okay, so this is um, key findings from a politics of religion study 2020 to 2022. Okay. Let me just share with you some things, and I'd love to hear your reaction. The first one, this will not surprise you, is that we are in a divided country. Evangelicals from across the political spectrum agree that division is one of, if not the number one issue facing the country. Mm-hmm. I, I, yes, and yes, uh, to call us divided almost feels like an understatement at yeah, this point. Yeah. Like we are, it's one thing to be divided. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to be adversarial, to be like wow. we're fighting. Yeah. And right now our country, including yep. evangelicals in the political world, feel like everything's a fight. Yeah. So you could have disunity in terms of like we agree to mm-hmm. disagree. Mm-hmm. That doesn't feel like it anymore. It feels like now we disagree and we're going to fight about we're it all fight the about time. It and we're going to like get yep. in our own tribes and. Interestingly, the cause of the division and the solution for fixing it remain contested, though many point to the media as a key driver for furthering division. I think that's true yeah, I think uh, that's accurate. because our media has gotten more divided and more polarized. Right. How do we make money go far right, go far yeah. left? Yeah. That it only is building into that. Yeah. All right. This one is really interesting for you and I as pastors. They're saying that pastors feel increasing pressure politically. Some have left the pastorate as a result Uh, This is a quote from a pastor saying, I feel like I have to choose my words really, really carefully. Even if I'm quoting scripture, I have to be careful about how I quote it. Pastors are blaming a hyper-politicized environment for the pressure that they feel, especially when it comes to the issues of race in America. Many pastors want to champion racial equality, but may receive critique from white congregation members. What do you think about that one? I get it. Do you actually feel pr- political pressure as a pastor right now? I, 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 agree. I think you do less than I, I do. I think I agree with him uh, in totality. Yeah. The majority of pastors. I don't know if I – there's something in my context where I think that people know what I think. Yeah. And, but there was also – we've never been a very quote-unquote political church. Yeah. And quite, quite frankly, a lot of the quote-unquote political people have left. Yeah. Um, so yes, I think as a whole, he's right. Right. But that's not your personal experience. Yeah. We, I, I would say we maybe feel more pressure than you do. Part of that is just like the way my husband leads. Yes. And he loves the pressure. He loves the pressure. And we have, I mean, frankly, we've received a lot of critique and people leaving, you know, white congregation members anytime he speaks out about race. That's less and less so as people realize like, oh, this is just who Renewal Church is. I'm in him or I'm out. But especially a few years ago, it felt very kind of intense. All right. Here's the next category, evangelicals and Trump. Donald Trump remains a divisive figure amongst evangelicals. Since 2020, many evangelicals have distanced themselves from him, instead supporting other GOP candidates. And even when evangelicals do not like him, they admit to voting for him. Here are some of the reasons why there was no better alternative uh, his policies overrode his personality. I heard that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Or he has furthered, quote, Christian values. Yeah. yeah. Does that feel true to you? It does. I, I think the right thing about Trump and 
everything he stands for I think with Christians I think the right word there is divided yeah I think that is becoming a point of disunity Absolutely like I think that is, is increasingly mm-hmm. uh, and not even Trump but as much as Trumpism if you mm-hmm. will people kind of in that line mm-hmm. that I've got friends who are really passionate in there like yep. in that and friends who are in the church who are really passionate against yeah. that like it feels like it feels like there is that's not just a dividing line between the church and outside the church. That feels like a dividing line within the within church. Within the church, right now. absolutely. Yeah. And it definitely feels like there's no there's no neutral party. Like there's nobody who's just like, Meh, I'll take him or leave him. Like people are either in or right. like very antithetical. And that's within the church. I, agree with I think that. that's accurate. All right, uh, number four differences in how evangelicals view the religious political relationship. The two have become entangled, and all e- not all evangelicals like this entanglement. Uh, they're giving an example of someone saying, which is more important, a political identity or a Christian identity? Mm. It's something you and I talk about here on The Common Good. Um, let me go on to the next one, number five. Abortion remains a top issue. This isn't surprising. This is one of the things we talk about here quite a bit. It's not often seen as a political issue, but rather a moral or biblical issue. This was a major reason many evangelicals voted for Trump in both 2016 and 2020, despite misgivings about his personality or personal behavior. The opposition to abortion is more strongly held by Christian leaders, including pastors, than Christian lay people Mm. who hold different views on when and how abortion should be legal. That's interesting to me. I I think it is. I think... Be careful these days. It's what we talked about earlier about how this is a political issue, abortion is. I think the more we allow that to become simply a political issue, the more divided it will be within the church and Mm. just like all political issues. I think we have to keep pushing this to being a moral, ethical issue and allow people to make their decisions then, but but keep it to that level within the church because the church, everything's becoming political just like in our world. Yeah, that's true. All right, let me just kind of quickly go through these last points. Immigration views are split within the church about immigration. Youth activism is a major channel for evangelicalism and politics. Uh, Faith and freedom, there's an increased importance placed on freedom. This is regarding freedom to use guns, freedom uh, not to get vaccines or wear a mask, Mm -hmm. a mandate, freedom from the government. There's a heavy emphasis on the protection of children. And then evangelicals increasingly feel victimized and attacked since 2016. So I think that's a pretty accurate kind of state of the 10 issues right now. I I feel like they wrapped that up. They explained that really well. I agree. I think we all feel it. We've all seen it. Uh, it's it's not going away. I think that's the important thing for people to rem- to realize. Like at the church level, because that's what you and I are really concerned about. Yeah, right. At the church level, these divisions and entanglements and um, are are getting worse. Right. And I do think that causes us to go. Well, then what? Yeah. What do we do about yeah. this? And I think it's one church at a time, one pastor at a time. Yeah. Going, hey, we're for something different. Mm-hmm. We we want to take a different stance That's here. Good. I, that might be Pollyanna. Easier said than done. But I do think there's a calling on us as Christians that we we really just have to take seriously, or we are just going to look like the world around yeah. us. Oh, it's such a good word for us, Brian. Uh, in just a minute, we're going to talk about the 100 best jobs in the United States right now. Excited to hear uh, what made that list over at U.S. News and World Report. But before we do, I want to invite you to something fun happening Labor Day weekend. The Naperville JC's Last Fling is back from September 2nd through September 5th. You can enjoy the last of summer. It's so true. Summer is ending 
the last of summer in downtown Naperville. They've got carnival rides, live music, food vendors. Admission is free. You can find out more at lastfling.org. That sounds like a fun way to end the summer, certainly. All right, so speaking of uh, the end of summer and reality, we're going to talk about work and careers, okay? U.S. News and World Report put out their 100 best jobs list. We're not going to read all 100. I was interested in what some of the best jobs were, but also how they made the decisions that they made. So Mm -hmm. let me read you the best jobs methodology, okay? Because they acknowledge careers as subjective and, uh, you know, basically depending on what you're interested in, you may or may not find this job the best job. Mm. But they, um, to identify professions for their 2022 rankings, they started with jobs that had the largest projected number and percentage of job openings. Okay. Okay. So that's interesting. So I guess part of it is just like the availability of the job. I can actually get the job. Yes. Then they, of course, looked at the median salary. Mm -hmm. They looked at the unemployment rate. They looked at the 10-year growth volume. thought that was kind of interesting. The 10-year growth percentage, future job prospects in that field, stress level in that field, work-life balance, and a few other things. Okay. Okay? So that is kind of their, that's their grid for what makes a job the best job. The first job, number Mm -hmm. one on the list of the 100 best jobs, Brian, it's an information security Analyst. That makes Number sense. Number one yeah, in that, 100 jobs. Does that make sense to you? It, because I think it's going to be an increasingly necessary job. I guess that's true. Because cybersecurity is everything these days, right? Yeah. Like we, whether personally or business-wise. Yeah, I guess that's true. So I suspect that the demand is going to be high. And this is also a pretty um, unique job, like a unique skill set. Yeah. So once you have that skill set, I would suspect that you can make a lot of money doing it. Yeah. Because so... I, I had no real like, oh, this is going to be number one. I As I'm going through the list, a lot of tech stuff, a lot of medical stuff. A lot of medical stuff. Yep. I thought the information security analyst was interesting, too, because um, you need a bachelor's degree, whereas some of these other ones, you need a master's. And mm-hmm. so this feels a little more accessible for people coming right out of college. That's right. Number two, nurse practitioner. There you go. Nurse practitioners perform a lot of the same duties as physicians. They perform physical exams, lab tests, analyze results, prescribe medicines, etc. Um, but they usually have some type of specialty. And mm-hmm. so I have heard that being a nurse practitioner is a better route than being a doctor sometimes. Yeah, depending on the schooling you yeah. want to endure and yeah. all of that. For sure, for sure. Yep. Number 3, you're right about health, physician's assistant. Number four, medical and health services manager. Number five, software developer. Number six, data scientist. Number seven, financial manager. Number eight, statistician. Number nine, lawyer. Go through number 10, a speech language pathologist. All right, so there's 100 of those. You can find those job rankings at 100 Best Jobs over at the U.S. News Report. Interesting, right? It is. uh, Like we said, if you really are looking for... Uh, a way into the job market. It appears that tech and it appears that uh, medical yeah, is it. That's the way to be. Where to Still go? Looking for pastor on this list. <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you found pastor no, still scrolling through? I have not. <laughs> Wonder if it's on there. Um, okay. So related to this, Harvard Business Review put out something last month about mentoring people who don't know what their career goals should be. And I thought this was so interesting, Brian, because here's what they basically said. 
that we are suffering in our country from a career myth, Mm. a delusional belief in the outdated idea of linear career progression. Basically, they say there is no such thing as like climbing a career ladder anymore, that that that's not even helpful. But instead, we need to dispel that career myth because that can put people in a career trap. And they they use a metaphor of like a jungle gym. What if you... um, Encourage people not to think of climbing a ladder, but climbing a jungle gym. So I guess the difference would be like there are times when you're moving linearly. You're exploring the other side of the jungle gym. You're hanging upside down. You're, you know what I mean? Like it's a different way of, of moving in your career. They're saying if you're mentoring somebody who's asking like what direction should I take in my career, they say good questions to ask are of the skills that we're looking to grow on our team or in our company, what interests you the most? So finding out what their interest is. Where do people want to gain more influence? What skill gaps are standing in their way? And if you can encourage people to think about what they want to achieve next, how they know they'll achieve it, um, what would be a next milestone for mm. you? That Those kinds of questions help people move up in their career more than just like, Get in the field and climb that ladder. Yeah. Do you think yeah. there's some accuracy to that new new do, way of thinking? I do like the idea of the jungle gym there. I think that's helpful. And I also think it's a little bit of also what we talked about before with the whole quiet quitting idea, too. I want to be careful not to romanticize. Mm. When people are coming out of college, like, have you ever been around somebody who is, and there's no harm in the job I'm about to say, but yeah. I know some people who have just been a barista, say. right. right. Because they're looking for the perfect job and have turned down all these other jobs mm. along the way that might be in the field, might be kind of yeah. in the field. Yeah. And you want to be like, that's the jungle gym aspect of it. Like, you got to get on the jungle gym. You got to get on the jungle gym. And That's true. Yeah. If then the next move is to the right and up, great. If it's right. awesome. But like, I, I sometimes we romanticize, like, I want to work from home and I want the perfect schedule and I want to make six figures and I want to do this. Sometimes you got to get a job. And so, <laughs> right. Sometimes you got to provide for your family. So I get the difference yeah. between a job and a career. Career. I get all of that. Um, I just want to be careful with it a little bit. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a good word. Like sometimes you just got to, you got to get in there and get started over at Harvard Business Review. They really ultimately say like, just get on the track. There Any road is going to lead you somewhere. But the key is like, it doesn't have to be clear linear narrative but you need to get on the path like get it like you said get on the jungle gym you want to know what the worst jobs in america are and where ours lands you're ready for them uh mri technologist medical secretary taxi driver community health worker nurse midwife now those are still those are the worst of the 100 i was gonna say i think i just looked though they're still on the list yeah i will tell you neither of our jobs are on the list of 100 they're not on there at all no yeah, I have, of I have heard it said before, what, that like the president of the United States and a pastor of a church are like two of the hardest jobs in America. <laughs> <laughs> that tells you something, doesn't That's it? That's funny. It's the end of the show. And at the end of the show, we like to bring you something to put a smile on mm-hmm. your face or to get you thinking. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we're going to do just that for you. Nona Jones. Who's you love the, Nona Jones. I love her. I love her personally. I would like. To say she's a friend, we've had some conversations, she's mentored me in a few ways, but we're not like besties. I wish I could say we were, but we're not. But I really, really like her. She is um, in charge of like the faith initiatives at what is now Meta, and she's an author and a speaker and a pastor, and I mean, she's just like a faithful, godly Christian woman. She's writing a lot lately about comparison and the comparison trap, and 
think she has a new book coming out on the topic. So she's starting to kind of plant seeds about the um, about that topic. But she tells the story about being early on in her career and she was nominated for her company's leadership development program. And so she and some other leaders in the company went to uh, a retreat or a meeting room or what have you. And they were all given an assignment by these mentors. And one of their assignments was to develop a strategy to grow the revenue of a fictional company. Okay. okay. So she spent that entire night uh, trying to figure out was the company in a state of growth or decline? What was going on? Then she developed some hypotheses for strategies to address the challenge before them. When she entered the meeting room the next day, so she's working with a team, okay, she starts to share her ideas, and she's really excited about that. She talks about what her analysis revealed, and she was, like, so excited to say, hey, my analysis revealed this, so mm-hmm. I think we should do this. Well, apparently, the look on everyone's faces were looks of irritation, annoyance, <laughs> somebody rolled their eyes. Basically, they said, thanks for sharing, but we want to talk about the marketing plan, and they totally dismissed her, mm. Okay. Now, she said she did not say another word for the rest of the program. So it's the final day. They're supposed to uh, present their team strategy to a panel of executive judges. They nominated a spokesperson. That person went up, presented their strategy. It was a strategy she did not agree with at all. It had no, it had obvious holes in it, et cetera. And what was interesting is as they finished, this executive team that was sort of acting as a judge basically said, here are all the things that you missed and got wrong. And they were the things that Nona had brought to the table originally. So someone on her team actually said to her, I'm so sorry. We should have listened to what you said. You seemed so smart that it got interpreted as arrogance. Mm. Okay. Now that's a long way of the point she's trying to make, which is this. I'm just going to read this uh, from her blog. She said that experience taught me a very valuable lesson. One that I hope you will internalize in your own life. Sometimes people resist you not because what you're offering is bad, but because what you're offering makes them feel inadequate mm. themselves. Mm. She goes on to say, so stop shrinking yourself down to fit inside of other people's opinions. Other people's opinions of you have less to do with you and more to do with them. If they feel threatened by you, it's because uh, they feel fragile and they have a fragile sense of self-worth, etc., she goes on to talk about, you know, not giving in to toxic comparison, but just owning who you are. And I don't know that I've been in a situation quite like that, Brian, but I do think there's a tendency sometimes for us to either shrink back when actually like, oh, wait, I do have a strong opinion and it might be good. I don't know if this is just a female thing or if it's a male female thing. I'd be curious to know your experience of that. Um, But we do tend to like dismiss ourselves and silence ourselves sometimes when we're in situations like this. Uh, Yeah, I think that there's I think we all do this, right? Like because there's am I worthy of being heard? Am I do I know enough? Am I, um, you know, maybe I'm wrong and I'm going to get embarrassed here. Uh, So there are a couple things from this story. That's one of them. For me, the other thing is. Sometimes it takes work to understand what people are hearing. Like the, um, I remember taking com theory, communication theory at Wheaton. I was yeah, a com major. Yeah. And there was this idea of, you know, the medium is as important as the message, mm. right? Like, 
And sometimes you have to understand not just what are you saying, but how are people hearing it? Yeah. So they said to her, you came across as arrogant. Right. Uh, you know, I think sometimes as pastors, we can come across as condescending or we can come across as arrogant or self-righteous. I think there's, you, I think anytime you're sharing and talking, you probably need to ask yourself, not just what am I saying, but how, if I were in people's shoes, how would I be hearing this right wow. now? And yeah. I, I think that is all part of communication. How How is this being heard? Because ultimately that's what matters more than even what you're saying that's so is what people are hearing. Yeah, that's so interesting. So it's almost like asking, what what is it like to be on the other side of mm-hmm. me right now as I'm communicating and saying this? And and perhaps had had she come into the room um, with the same like really good information that was really confident, but not in a way that made people feel like it was arrogant, that would have changed this whole story. That's kind of an interesting thought, Brian. Yeah. The other thing that she does talk about is um, ultimately that you should... Um, you don't need to apologize for yourself. She mm. says, fully occupy your lane in life. I think she ultimately felt like she needed to apologize for herself. So I think this is a good, there's like two sides to this conversation. One is if you feel the pressure to shrink and be small because you're afraid that other people will be unhappy with you or will feel threatened by you, then there is, I think, maybe a call to like, like you're saying both things like consider the message and the Mm -hmm, way you're delivering mm -hmm. it. I think that's really important, but then also like not be afraid to say the things that you feel like God has put on your heart to say, or the, the information that you have, the knowledge that you have. And so I'm just thinking of like somebody who's at home right now, maybe in their workplace, maybe at school, maybe even in a conversation with a family member where they feel this tendency to like not stand up for themselves or to not say, speak their mind. Right. Um, Or on the other hand, the one who keeps saying things and it's offending everybody left and right. Like, what do you think a good sort of measured way to consider both of those points of view is? Yeah. I, I think what we said earlier for me, it's just, could you put yourself in the shoes of the other person who is hearing you? Mm. Like, am I, do I even have that? Do I even care? That takes work, right? Yeah. Like I think about, well, Aubrey, you and I write sermons most weeks or you speak at places. Yep. I don't usually give thought to what is this person going to hear as mm. opposed to, did I get it right? What I'm saying. Yeah, totally. It's more about, do I care about what I'm saying? And they should care about what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm their pastor. I worked hard mm-hmm. on this, whatever else. Uh, I, I wonder what, how it would change the way we present, the way we talk about things to ask the question, if I were sitting in the congregation right now, what would I be hearing? Yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting thought process. I hadn't really thought about that very much. Yeah. What's that old Maya Angelou phrase? Like people will forget what you said, but they won't forget what, how you made them feel. I think there is a mm. there is a principle of that here is when you're communicating, do it in such a way that people feel loved, heard, respected, even if you're bringing something to the table that's different from them or um, maybe have it. Maybe you have a little more expertise. Yeah. You don't need to be embarrassed about that, but you do need to communicate ultimately with love. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to think about both, like take up the space that you ought to take up, run in your lane without apologizing for yourself and simultaneously, like don't be a, a bull in a china shop. That's right. Right. That's but right. Be kind and respectful. The message as you're is communicating. The mess. The medium is the message. The is what is we the learned. Message. Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, with that, Brian and I will be back again tomorrow from four to six p.m.
For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.